Well, Cam, thanks for coming on the podcast. So as we were chatting before, I was kind of taken aback because I saw from your profile on Podmatch, the podcast matching service that we're both members of, that you were a multi-time heavyweight boxing champion. And so I assume that you'd won two or three championships. And then you tell me that you've won 14 and I almost jump out of my chair because I just can't even comprehend getting to the top that many times. But it raises this question of once you've won, you know, one or two, what keeps you motivated to pursue that all over again? Uh, I think, I think we all, we're all motivated, right? Uh, we're all motivated, but specifically for what we want to do in life. And I think a lot of us through life is diverted away from what we actually want to do. So that's, it's a very confusing way to say it, but I had a goal. And when I, can I ask how old are you? I am 29. I'll be 30 later this year. Okay. Do you remember uh, the show All That? I do. I don't remember like specific details about it, but I remember it was on Nickelodeon. Yeah. Yes. All right. So I wanted to be on All That. That was my goal as a kid. And so I always wanted to be, I wanted to be on TV. I want to be a performer of some sorts, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, and that dream kind of, you know, got lost. And cause that was my dream. When I was like eight or nine years old. When I turned 16, I joined the boxing gym to lose weight. Right. And I never made a team before. I'm not really good at sports. I'm not athletic. So I just went to work out and I, I, I was there every day because I realized I realized the formula. So I feel like I'm jumping around a lot. Apologies. In about when I was about 15, I learned how calories work. And how my brain works is basically if you burn more calories than you consume, you will lose weight. So like you we average averagely burn about 2000 calories a day. If you consume 2000 calories and you burn 2000 calories, you you maintain but if you burn more calories than you lose, you lose weight. Then you consume, you lose weight. So the formula in my head was one plus two equals three. In this formula, I'm one. Three is the goal. Two is what you need to do to accomplish that goal. One plus two equals three. So in boxing, when the first time I got in the ring to spar, I was so afraid to get hit. My plan was, I, I just, I didn't want to get hit. So, uh, I only worked on defense. So instead of hitting a heavy bag, I would spar with with lighter fighters and just do a lot of moving. And I quickly realized that heavyweights get tired very quickly. And if I can just work on defense, I can win every fight. Because if you can't hit me, you can't win. After I won my first national championship using this philosophy of just running away from my opponents until they get tired, after I won my first national championship, I realized I could just do this over and over and over again. And if I can win enough national championships, I'll do like a crazy TV interview or I'll get on TV and I'll be able to get my own TV show. So my motivation to win all these national championships is because I thought the more national championships I won, the more value I would have as a person. So I looked at mm. degree, I looked at national championships as college degrees. 
if other than STEM, right? If let's say you went for a marketing job and you have a four-year degree and I have 10 national championships, who do you think is going to get the job? Me, right? Uh, so that was kind of my thought process with, with uh, winning so many national championships. Because I figured if I won enough, I'd be able to transition out of boxing into a different career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And one of the things that stands out to me, and maybe there's something here, maybe there's not, but you're using past tense as you talk. You're saying, I looked at it this way. I thought this way. So was there a point when that mentality changed for you? Yeah, when I, I when I finished the the mission, uh, so the mission was to, for me to I, I never wanted to turn pro with boxing. So after I won my first national championship, everyone's like, "Are you going to turn pro now?" And I was like, "No." Then uh, in 2012, I won the Olympic trials to represent the U.S. in the London Olympics, and I got kicked off the Olympic team for not filling out paperwork. Hmm. Uh, and. I was suspended for a year and they were like, are you going to turn pro now? And I was like, oh no, I have no interest in turning pro. The goal is to represent the U S which is a dream in itself and to travel around, gain life experience and be able to transition into a different career. But in 2012, when I got suspended, I realized that all I had was boxing. I, I didn't have a degree because, you know, I thought national championships were degrees, but when you're not boxing, it's worthless. I had no skills, no degrees, no certifications. And I realized when I return to boxing, I have to make myself more than just an athlete. And my goal was to be on all that and to be a performer. So in 2012, when I got suspended, I started doing stand-up comedy. And uh, because my goal was always to be a performer and I wanted to get back to that. And I wanted boxing to transition me into performing. And I got lost in it at some point because I, mm. I got addicted to winning. Uh, so I started doing stand-up comedy and doing speaking around schools at schools around the country as I continued boxing. And I won nationals in 2013, 14, 15. And then 2016, I won the U.S. Olympic trials to represent the U.S. in a Rio, Rio uh, Olympics. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't get to go. Uh, I lost an international competition and didn't get a slot in Rio. Uh, but this time when I decided to step away from boxing was on my own accord. And I had skills and I, I developed a business and I had a business to transition out of. So when I left boxing, I decided to become a speaker. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I'm just imagining you on this journey from wanting to be on all that to being a boxer, having a lot of success, getting so close to the Olympics a few times, and then that not working out, but you being able to quickly pivot and say, well, hey, this is what I've wanted all along. I wanted to perform. And it begs the question for me of something that I wanted to talk about from what you shared earlier. You talk about this idea of developing a formula, a repeatable formula that helps you win in these boxing matches each time. Is that a mentality that has helped you in other areas of life as well? Uh, yeah. I'm Once I find something that works, like you would, you would hate playing video games with me because if we're playing Mortal Kombat and I find a combination that works, I'm just going to press that combination over and over and over, <laughs> and over again. That's how my brain works. So, uh, perfect example. I realized the benefit of comfortability. So I wasn't the strongest boxer, I wasn't the fastest boxer, but I fought so much, I had so much experience 
that I was comfortable. So, Ray, let's say that you have 10 fights, right? And I have 100 fights. And we fight. Who do you think is going to win? Definitely you. Okay. After, I would say my first 200 fights were hard. After 200 fights, everything became very easy. Because everyone I fought only had a normal number of fights. And in comparison to me, I had so much more experience. So I was comfortable. I, I ended my career with over 400 fights. So when I got into speaking, my goal was I didn't want to be the highest paid speaker. I don't, that wasn't my concern. I wanted to be the best speaker. And in order to be the best, you have to be comfortable. And I took the same approach with that formula that I did with boxing. So I bought a van and uh, I lived in a van for three years because if I'm building a speaking business, I don't have to pay for uh, rental cars, hotels, or flights. And I spoke at about 200 schools a year for three years. Wow. Uh, so I'm very comfortable with the microphone. I'm very comfortable on stage. And every weekend I would MC uh, vegan festivals. Okay. Veg fest around the country. Uh, and that would be to, because I'm on stage for eight hours. After a while, you develop this comfortability on being in stage. And if anything pops up, I can handle it with ease because it's the experience. Uh, and that's why I kind of, I, I, I kind of go hard with everything is yeah, you got to get that experience. Like yeah, it makes me think about a book that I read a couple of years ago called Skip the Line by James Altucher. And a big part of the first section is he's talking about the 10,000 hour rule, which a lot of people have heard of, you have to work on something for 10,000 hours in order to become an expert. And he puts his own twist on that. He says it's not 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 experiments. And as you do those experiments, you are not only learning about how to do a craft, you know, whether it's in your case, boxing or speaking or stand up comedy, but you're getting comfortable, you're learning about what works for you, and you are gaining momentum, especially compared to people who aren't willing to put in that much work to get to the point of being an expert or being, you know, highly proficient at something. So, and I'd love to hear your take on that because you have a lot of hours and time invested in boxing and speaking and these different things that you're doing. So what sets you apart from someone who is not willing to put in that same investment of time and energy? Uh, that's the only thing that puts us apart. The, the time, the effort. I would say, pe people say like everyone's equal, right? Uh, and everyone starts out equal, and then the effort you put in, like, determines where you're where you're at, right? So at least skill wise. Uh, so in my mind, if again, if you have ten fights and I have a hundred fights, I'm going to win. And I'm so obsessed with winning that I'm willing to do what you're not. So what I do like to do for my opponents is I'm will, I want to think about what you're not willing to do. And then I'm going to do it. So, oh, do you want to, you, do you're going to, it's Christmas time, right? We're fighting, our fight's January 10th. Are you going to go home and visit your family for Christmas? You're going to spend New Year's with your wife? Because I'm not, I'm going to be training. And that's why I think I'm better than you. Now, course i don't think i'm better than you in any other aspect of the way but besides boxing but that's why i have the confidence when i'm in the ring is because i'm i'm willing to put in every effort every ounce of work 
and I only do that because I'm terrified. Yeah, that's interesting. And effort really is the great equalizer, right? Because you said yourself, you realized, you know, you weren't the strongest or the fastest, but, you know, you had the skill. I think you did say that you were faster than other people and so you could run away from them. So that's probably not the best example. But, you know, you mentioned a few things earlier, like I don't have this like other boxers do, but here's a skill that I have that they don't and I can exploit that. Uh, but then at the same time, you're also willing to put in additional effort that maybe not everyone is willing to put in and make those sacrifices. Yes. Another thing that boxing has taught me, uh, which I don't think I, I give enough credit to is boxing doesn't care about what you do right. So like when you go to the boxing gym, you don't work on what whatever you're strongest at, that's your least worry. You focus on all of your weaknesses. And I was con I'm conditioned to look for my own weaknesses and see see what my strengths are, ignore my strengths and focus on my weaknesses until they become strengths. Hmm. And I do find with a lot of people where it it's difficult for them to have honest self-assessments. If you can't tell yourself you're doing something wrong, how are you going to be able to ever do it right? Hmm. So through those 10,000 experiments, I'm able to see like, oh, okay, this was, I, I make so many mistakes. I fail so much out of those 10,000 times that I would be trying. Oh, uh, by the way, I'm, when I say I have over 400 fights, uh, I lost a lot. Uh, I've lost 39 fights. I couldn't tell you how much I won. I've won over 400, but the ones I, that I won, I never really cared about. Uh, I've, I've met people and introduced myself to them and they told me that we fought twice. That's how little the wins mean to me. But I can tell you about every single loss because when I when I lose, that's when I stop, I reflect, I obsess, and I try to figure out how I not lose again. Uh, and I take that same approach with speaking. So if I have a speech and it doesn't go well, as much as it hurts, I have to listen back to that speech and kind of figure out what I can do better next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a hard concept for most people to adopt because it's very uncomfortable. You know, I would rather focus on the things that I'm doing well and ignore the areas where I fall short. And it's true that nobody's perfect and we're all going to make mistakes. But in those mistakes, you have such an amazing opportunity to learn about yourself, learn about what you did wrong and improve things so that you can approach the situation differently next time. So how would you because I think that's really insightful. How would you encourage someone who is having a hard time in that area to get started? Like what's one simple step or trick that people can implement to learn from their mistakes and be better next time? Uh, here's my trick. Uh, set, set a goal. You have no other choice but to fail. A lot of people don't get started because they're afraid it not it might not work. If your goal is for it to not work anyway. So like when I first started boxing, my goal wasn't like my goal was to go to the Olympics. That was that was my goal. I'd never made a team before. I'm not very athletic, but that was my goal. The reason why I made that my goal is because it was the biggest goal I could think of. It was like most I'm most likely to fail at that goal. And then I failed in 2008, I failed in 2012, I failed in 2016, I failed in 2020. 
I'm not heartbroken. I knew I was going to fail. It doesn't matter if I fail. But the idea is I got started. Hmm. And if you can just let go of the idea of fail and set your goal so big, imagine if I would have set my goal for state championships. And how amazing would it have been to have won a state championship after never com competing in the sport before? That would be impressive, right? But you can also set your goal unreasonably bigger. Like, I think the fear of failure is, is – uh, holds holds people back yeah and it makes me think about when you set a goal what is that goal doing for you if i set a goal that i'm probably going to accomplish even if i don't have the goal set in stone or written down then that goal doesn't really mean much if i set That's a, a goal list. yeah exactly but if it's a goal that like you're talking about it's pushing me it's unlikely to happen or maybe it's for sure not going to happen but that goal inspires me to action and I do more because I've set that goal than I would have done otherwise. It doesn't matter if I've technically failed at the goal, but it pushed me further than I would have gone otherwise. Yeah. I, and I like to look at goals as a lighthouse, right? So you're in your ship, you're in the water, you see the, where the lighthouse is, you're heading that direction. The closer you get to the lighthouse or the goal, you'll start to see details on the lighthouse. And the lighthouse is going to look a lot different than you were expecting it was going to look. But it is getting you in the vicinity of where you're wanting to get to. Mm -hmm. So I would say sometimes you set a goal and it's that huge goal. And as you get closer, you realize, oh, this isn't the path that I wanted to go. You can always readjust. But the idea is just continuously moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's so good. I have I like one. I have one more question that I want to ask, and then I'll give you a chance to talk about how people can connect with you and where they can find you. Um, so if you could go back in time to 16-year-old Cam, first time in the boxing ring, what advice would you give him? Ooh. Uh, not nothing. He killed it. <laughs> he killed it. Uh, yeah. I, I learned so much from all the mistakes he made. I couldn't undo a lot of it, but advice that I would give me. Bitcoin. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> give him some quality stock picks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But I love that, that confidence and that sort of peace that comes from recognizing, yeah, I could tell myself to not do X, Y, or Z that had this negative outcome, but then you don't just lose the pain, you lose the lessons that you learned from that pain. And I think that's such a healthy place to be mentally where you realize, yeah, my life hasn't been perfect and I've made some choices that I wish that I could have back. But if that domino doesn't fall, then what happens to the next six or seven on the path? You know, it's so cool to think about how the events in our life, both good and bad, contribute to where we are today. And so I, I like that perspective that you have. Yeah. You uh, see, so you mentioned something about confidence. And I don't want to go over time if, uh, if we have a little bit extra time for yeah, me. Go for it. Uh, so you talk about confidence. Uh, what is the opposite of confidence? Hmm. 
The opposite of confidence. I don't know. What would you say? I will say before I tell you, I don't want you to agree with me. I just want to challenge the way people think. Uh, I think the opposite of confidence is humility. I think being humble is detrimental. So, and here's, here's why I think that. Uh, do you believe words are powerful? I'm a writer, so yeah, I would say so. Do you have your phone on you? Could you I look do. up the definition of humble? Sure. Once I figured this out, it changed the way I started to look at life. Now, read me the first definition. Yeah, that's not what I would have expected, honestly. So the first definition of humble that shows up is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. Wow. Okay, now, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right, correct? Yeah, I would say, you know, I read in the book one time, a lie that's believed is true will affect your life as if it were true. Yes. Now, does that, does that definition sound like a positive quality you would wish on your child? No. Maybe read me definition number two. Maybe that first one was just a fluke. So definition number two is of low social, administrative, or political rank. Not pretty positive there, is it? I wouldn't say so. So the Latin root word is lowly. It's not a positive concept. Now, the whole idea of being humble in the eye of the Lord, sure, in the eye of the Lord. But Brady, you are not the Lord. I do not need to be humble in front of you. Because what we do when we humble ourselves is we basically put an invisible ceiling over us because we don't want anyone to think we're higher than them. So we keep ourselves low. So when I change my last name to awesome, people think, oh, I bet he thinks highly of himself. Brady, I do. But I also think highly of you. Let's say I'm up here, right? Someone down here would want me to come down to their level. That's what being humble is. Sit down, be humble, lower yourself. I'm not going to lower myself to make other people comfortable. What I want to do is I want to lift other people up to come up to where I am. And I think when you stop being humble, you realize your ability for greatness. And then mm. you can set those bigger goals and know that you can accomplish them. Why? Because you tell yourself you can. Being humble goes against every positive affirmation there is. I'm whole. I'm great. I'm Everything you can say positive about yourself is diminished when you're humble, at least in the way of the, the definition. And when I tell this to people, they're so committed to being humble that they're like, well, that's not what it actually means. And then I would say, Brady, read the third definition. <laughs> so the third definition would be of a thing in parentheses, and then it says of modest pretensions or dimensions. Okay, that one was less appealing, but none of them positive traits. So when people talk about confidence, I'm, I love confidence. And what I did, what I do realize is, uh, unhappy people don't like happy people. The same goes with confidence. And when there's a confident person, it, it, it can trigger other people's insecurities and make that person not very likable. And because we all want to be liked, 
we then start to humble ourselves. Hmm. I do like this picture of you talk about not lowering yourself to make others feel better, but elevating others to bring them up to the level where you feel like you're at. And I also think that confidence doesn't have to be a zero sum game, right? It's like, I don't have to be less confident because you are very confident. You know, we can both be confident at the same time. I'll be, that's what confidence is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I feel like that's a good place to end. Um, So tell us a little more about where we can learn more about you, about what you're doing, how people can get in touch with you. Uh, You can find out more about me uh, at camfawesome.com and uh, at camfawesome everywhere on social media. Uh, So I'm a motivational speaker. I speak at high schools and middle schools, as well as corporations. I speak on positivity, acceptance, and resilience. Uh, As captain of the USA national boxing team, I had the honor of traveling to over 30 countries as captain, where I would have to find the do's and don'ts about each country and then relay the message to our teammates so we don't make ourselves look like fools in other Mm -hmm. countries. And through that, I've learned a lot about cultural communication. So I do speak about cultural communication in the workplace as well. That's awesome. I love that you're getting to dip your toe into all of these different areas, you know, comedy, cultural communications, obviously boxing. Sounds like you live a really interesting life have a lot of cool experiences. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Cam, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on the podcast and for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me, man.